Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps what are we fate for? today is the 4th of July. <laughs> Get up, man. Let him finish. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. I'm completely against whatever this guy's saying. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. So say you. But from annihilation. We're That's fighting for back. our right to live. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. What you talking about, man? But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate... Our Independence Day. Well, there you go. How does that? Uh, how does that get your blood pumping? There, everybody. Welcome to Saturday morning cereal, Fourth of July, Independence Day edition. That's right. Hey, Marky, you remember that movie? I saw that movie in the theater. Fourth of July or Fourth of July weekend and blah 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 blah. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I do remember it. I well, tell me this off the top of your head: what's the name of the actor who gave that speech? Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? I thought it was Jeff Daniels, you idiot. Oh, I get those wrong all the time. <laughs> yes, one of one of those one of those movies launched coincidentally enough on Independence Day, uh-huh. which is coming up right here. Yep, today. We are in the middle of Independence Day weekend. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of blockbusters hitting yep. the scene, and that doesn't mean that blockbusters are the only movies out there. But Independence Day has a long history of, if you're going to go out and see a new movie, it's probably got all the biggest stars. Yeah, it's got the biggest budget. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to run about two and a half hours. Yeah, better these days. You're guaranteed <laughs> CG, huge, you know, uh, forty minute long action set pieces. Noise. You can literally see money burning. Yeah. While they while they do these, your Avengers, your Terminators, your your Marvel, anything's uh-huh. really. Uh-huh. 
but but that doesn't mean we don't love other movies, right, Mark? We're not one note, ravenous, THX audience monkeys. You're right. I think I think the whole reason why we're here today is to kind of show how much we like it all. Yes, we're if we, fans. We uh, if you like movies, you know you can enjoy the blockbusters, uh-huh. and you can really enjoy indie movies, exactly. independent movies, the ones that are about as far from the big Independence Day blockbusters as you can find. It's about the it's about the movies that can make you think, and about the movies that can blow your mind. All the well same time. put, well put. Yeah, that that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. There, there's room enough for we don't have to apologize for being fans of both. No, I don't think there has to really be a disagreement between them. What better time than Independence Day to bring that up? So from you get it, indie Independence Day. <laughs> I get it, I get it, and it's 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 from the indie movie to the Independence Day movie, mm, and that yeah, whole road that gets us through. Yep. Yeah. So uh, this week we have um, our guest, we should point out, uh, IndieWire.com. That's right. Uh, we, Eric, spoke to, uh, we spoke to Ben Travers, ben who's Travers. a uh, TV editor mm-hmm. down at IndieWire. Right. And Eric Cohn, Eric who's Cohn. A, uh, I think a deputy editor and their chief film critic. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot to say about what's going on this summer. He did, and he we'll did. have we'll mostly have some because to say. I forced him to say it. <laughs> That's right. You made him. You put. That's him right. Yeah. I grabbed his arm. I twisted. I said, "Hey, nerd, tell me about this summer and movies." Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, if if you work in media, you know, unless you have somehow have the perfect artsy hipster, to, better than thou, uh, <laughs> job, you you are going to have to cover Everything. blockbusters. Everything. So even at IndieWire, of course, they get screeners. They have to go and review. You know the latest Joss Whedon movie, mm-hmm. just like they, you know, the Avengers. You know, the Avengers, for yeah. example, yeah. just just the same way they were big fans of him ten, fifteen years exactly. ago when he was doing independent work. Right. right. Uh, so we we talked to them uh, by nature of them working for IndieWire, which has been around mm-hmm. a long time. That's about twenty years now. Mm-hmm. In the IndieWire.com covering the independent film scene, which in itself was pretty new about twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels that way, right? There was, there's a key moment that, well, to my memory, there's a key moment that brings the indie wi- the the indie film, the indie wire film spirit, to my recollection. Yeah. You know, and I, I think we're gonna we're gonna cover it a minute in, in in a couple minutes, but there is there's a key moment where that does where it brings the independent film to the to to the masses. Mm-hmm. Um. But at the same time, it's been going on forever. It's it's always been this way. It's you know, there's a little bit more pizzazz to it now. But yeah, know, I mean, yeah, you could say you know, uh, uh, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight I don't Cowboy. think had a okay, you know, uh, uh, for for going forward, let's right. inform each other, the audience, everybody. We're agreeing that the definition of an independent movie mm-hmm. is any feature film. Correct. That is made without a major Hollywood studio. Right. So there is some wiggle room there. Yes, and we cannot discredit the movies that came out with the studio at that at the time was not major. Yeah. And that now is because of the success of its early movies. True. So th- this line, the lineage, kind of gets a little confusing yeah. sometimes. Especially because but, there was a lot of success in indie exactly. movies, so a lot of studios now own the studios that make them. 
doesn't mean you know, and they just don't put their their name on there anywhere. Right. So you okay? So let's go into that to that indie film spirit real quick. Yeah. Um, let me give you what's what I consider my my favorite experience enjoying a a independent uh, film. Tell I, me, when did you first feel like an independent film? Yes. Audience member. Like, like I, I pretty, like is that this wasn't a movie? This was a film. Somebody worked really hard exactly. on making an expression here, and I enjoy it for the little perfect thing it is. Right. I mean, when did that happen to you? I want to. Like, I put on my beret and I had a scarf. <laughs> I, that, this is the kind of film that I watch, right? And so I, I was at the University of of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I saw this little eight by ten, you know, Xerox copy. It was on one of the bulletin boards, right? Oh, like and a little flyer. A little flyer, yeah. Put out there, it, it university was like style, exactly. by the student union building. Exactly, exactly. I remember that. And yeah. it was for, I never heard of it, it was called Six String Samurai. You remember that movie? I do, thanks to you. I, know, I do. Right, I never right. once saw a commercial or anything for it, but I've seen it a dozen, two, three dozen times. Still love it. This, lo- this is probably yeah. 1997, maybe 98. I don't, I don't recall, uh, I don't know the exact date, but Six String Samurai... Um, it's basically the premise of it is is that the USSR and America went they yeah, went the to, Cold War happened. happened right sometime in the late fifties during the height of the Cold War scare late during 50s, the fifties that's important during the fifties yeah before counterculture in America developed exactly what you had was Elvis Elvis <laughs> and Buddy Holly <laughs> Buddy Holly the Rat Pack yeah yeah so that was that's what was left right and so. Um, what was left of America is, you know, it's it's a it's a nuclear wasteland, post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic and everybody is trying to get to Lost Vegas, Only which is the strong survive. Exactly, and everybody's trying to get to Lost Vegas, which is now the capital of the world, or the or at least the the U.S. Yeah, and they're trying to claim the throne because the king Elvis is dead. Yeah, and so that's the world that we live in, where. Being a badass and rock and roll, that's the pinnacle of civilization. Yep. And so this guy who looks a lot like Buddy Holly, who's named Buddy, he's going to go to Las Vegas to claim his throne. And death is following him, and death happens to look a lot like Slash from Guns uh-huh. N' Roses. He does. Right. And so, so this, is, this is also basically like a musical. Yeah, this it is. is one Absolutely. of those things. For, you probably could sell the idea up to a point here to oh, a studio. It would work. Go and say, hey, post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> Guys roving the desert, yeah. killing mutants. Uh, he has to get to Las Vegas. He's got to take Elvis's place. And he's a samurai. You might, you might, and he's a samurai. <laughs> you might even still have him in the hook. But as soon as you say, and it's also a musical, that's it. Meeting over. Uh, yeah, you You're the, after the Paramount. This is not going to go to... Good day, sir. Thank you. But in the independent world, and I had to learn this later on because I didn't know what I was getting into. All I know is that when I saw this movie, I, I was blown away and I wanted to learn more about it. I Actually, their website, which was good then, it was uh, one of the early ones, it's still up. I checked it before we started recording. It's still there. None of the tabs really work. What they say, like if you, if you go to sixstringsamurai.com, you can click on some of the tabs and it's like, oh, this site is no longer maintained. Go uh, check out manga.com, which is the distributor of it now. Yeah. You know, so you can still. By the way, you can get this movie for ten bucks right now on Amazon. It's only available on DVD. I'm 
you could probably get some VHSs too. I've owned both copies. I, I um, happen to know that Mark is a super fan. In fact, I can get you his number. You call <laughs> yeah, him up I will in the middle of the one. night. He will just walk you through the synopsis. <laughs> it's a fantastic. It is. It is an amazing movie. I was blown away by how awesome this was. I saw it in the basement cellar uh, movie theater at the University of New Mexico. Uh, I was hanging out with my boy, um, Sam, and we smoked a lot of weed before we went in. I remember this very well. And then uh, I remember college. I, it, was, it was college. And I remember we were in there. We were watching and. Thank God I had a Snickers bar in my pocket, you know, because I didn't want to leave, but I was so like hungry and, you know, cotton mouth, you know, and all this mm. stuff. But this movie was so good. I didn't want to leave. And um, I don't know. It was just this amazing. Yes, it was the, the indie spirit. I was swept away by it. You know, um, it wasn't my first experience watching an indie film. I've seen good movies my whole life. Some of them, as it turns out, are independent movies. Yep. I didn't know it. Oh, no. Yeah. But this was the first time that I, I kind of knew ahead of time that this was a small movie and all this stuff. And um, the guy that put this film together, and I, I forget his name, uh, you know, he shot the first, I think, 10 minutes of it on his own dime, 30 millimeter or something film. And then he had to go uh, and get the Didn't even of it. fit any projector. Yeah, he was just, so <laughs> mad at himself. So... But he didn't give up. No, yeah, he, yeah, I think it's the main guy. It's that uh, Jeffrey Falcon. Is it? I think. Yeah, I think Jeffrey he's the Falcon's one. the guy. He's 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 the actor. Yeah, but uh, I, I almost feel like he was also the writer, maybe not the director. I uh, and see, how awesome was the soundtrack time. with the Red Elvises? Yep. You remember that? I mean, well, I think uh, you know enough uh, street cred themselves. I think I pop, I see them. They pop play up in articles every now and then. I remember around that same time, about a year later, I saw them playing at the Launchpad in Albuquerque. Mm. Uh, the Red Elvises played there, and I, you know, um, we went but didn't go in for some. Anyway, I remember being a part of them being in Albuquerque, and so oh, like we. What a half a story! It's a Thanks. half a story. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't go far. Let me. Let me assure you. Whenever we go but through, but it's it's in furtherance of. Six String Samurai. Exactly. Well, I went there because Love I liked movie, this movie. Right? right. Yeah. And I was just, oh, it's the Red Elvises. Let's go mm -hmm. check them out. They're a bunch of Russians from. Just yeah. on, a, on a quick tangent, I am wondering if instead of being an independent day, uh, like an independent movie, sorry, uh -huh, uh -huh. if it was instead an Independence Day movie and, you know, Paramount had bankrolled it and Tom Cruise was, yeah. was buddy and they had spent, you know, $114 million dollars. Would, do you think you would like it the same amount? Do you I think if everyone spent a summer uh, talking about it, would you still have the same affection? I'm so glad you asked that because I don't think any amount of money could have made that any better of a movie than what it was. Now, the amount of money could make it a bigger hit. Yes. But that movie in itself is perfect to me, you know? That movie is perfect. And it's I would, one of those that you want to keep exactly, exactly the way it is. Yeah, and I want it to be a hit. I want everybody to see it. Now, there's kind of a counterculture kind of sentiment that kind of happens when you talk to like those indie film kind of dweebs, which IndieWire guys are not that, by the way. They also love and you, and you're all going to hear it on this great interview. Or they can keep it in check. Sure, we'll or whatever. Never know yeah, deep maybe, down. maybe they are, but... 
you know, there is this I'm kind more of cynical about whether or not they're cynical. <laughs> Maybe at this point. so. I don't know. <laughs> but like, there there is this kind of mentality that like some people who are so kind of into themselves more than into anything else, once something does become popular, they kind of turn their backs on it. Uh. You know, and that's not what this show is about, right? We're about we're about. Yeah. Yeah. Fanaticism. What, what we want to do Geek today them. is to say it's all right to like both. Exactly. You don't have to be in one camp or the other independently. I have an example kind of like that uh-huh. uh, that, that, talks, that talks about how indie movies on their own are so popular they can just snowball into bigger stuff. Because I remember many, many years ago, even before you found Six Drink Samurai, I read some article in like Premier Magazine, just a little blurb. It was about Harvey Keitel and how he produced a movie. Spent He paid for like a third of the budget mm. because he liked the script and this new director so much. And okay. he himself like physically brought it to some uh, Sundance or something. <laughs> Uh, and it was a big hit, blah, blah, blah. And then... It was a big hit it, in Sundance. It was a big hit at Sundance. Okay. No, I never saw it come out in any theaters. But, of course, I just read blurb about it. I probably didn't even... And how old were you? I was... This is 13, mid-high 14. school, so I probably okay, would have been 15, like 16. 14, 15. Okay. Uh, I remember the next, uh, maybe six months, hell, maybe even a year later, at Hastings, renting VHSs, going through like a movie a day during one summer, and I found... I like the title rang a bell. I said, "Oh, Reservoir Dogs." That's what it was. I remember it being one of those. I'm, I know I'm that. Movie. Check this out. And I watched. And I watched it with a friend of mine, and it was so good. Oh, Reservoir amazing. Dogs. Quentin Tarantino watching this only because I had heard Harvey Keitel was involved. <laughs> but at the time, that's what it was. And I remember at one point, I think it was during the uh, the commode mm-hmm. uh, joke scene. Yeah. My friend turns to me and goes, "Dude, am I crazy? Or is this like one of the best movies ever made?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was, and you know, because I had, uh, I wouldn't have bothered picking it up if I hadn't read that little blurb in a yeah. trade magazine. Uh, and and I it's was, because you like Harvey Keitel, right? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. And it, yeah, and it was, it was also, and I think that the name kind of got me. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a cool new hip thing." Uh-huh. And so when I, when it came together, I said, "Yeah, I'll give this a try." And it was amazing. And, of course, this is the beginning of Quentin Tarantino's arc, who became just as famous as that movie. And this is the transition where the the success of the indie film can lead to an explosion at the box office. Yeah. You know, so where I love Six String Samurai, and I, bought, I had to go on SixStringSamurai.com, and mm-hmm. I ordered it. I ordered the VHS. I took it to your house, and you loved it. Everybody at that house loved it. Everybody that I've ever shown it to loved it. A couple years later, I would buy it on DVD. Everybody loved it. But that didn't explode Jeffrey Falcon into the other stratosphere. But what happened with Reservoir Dogs is that it gave Quentin Tarantino the right amount of opportunity. It was still with Miramax, right? I think even at that point, I I don't think it was. I think it was... Like one of those. Well, it was a band which, apart move film, which yeah, is that's, that's the logo I can think of. But I believe it's a Miramax. Um, I think it of, was, but of course, with an independent movie, you sometimes that studio or that last producer isn't attached till after it goes and succeeds at Sundance. Right. I think it was probably more likely Harvey Weinstein saw it at Sundance. 
said, hey, distribute I'm going to give it. you a ridiculous amount of money, and I'm going to distribute it. <laughs> yeah, and I'll give you a, a piece of the gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and that, because believe me, Joss Whedon did not go out, spend a third of his own money to do Avengers, to, to make <laughs> yeah. Avengers, and then hopefully, yes, I hope Marvel picks this up. <laughs> yeah, I that's, that's a big difference between a blockbuster and independent. But it it did happen for Quentin Tarantino, which is why. I mean, I think he does he does kind of keep this very this rare place in that he can still appear to be independent. Like well yeah. and you know, he is. I mean, he's awesome. Every single thing he's done is just awesome. I mean, he's amazing. He's, we, he's got a singular skill and, exactly. it, and it's very makes him very popular. Right. It sells. Right, right. It, it, yes, it's, within, it's our favorite yeah, every Within time. a couple of years of Pulp Fiction coming out, mm-hmm. again, technically, I think, a, an indie movie. And we can talk more about it that is, kind right. of bridging it later. Uh-huh. But I think uh, within just a couple of years of that, there were a bunch of movies coming out, and still continues to this day, that were just produced by Quentin Tarantino. Uh-huh. But that's the only name they give you in the commercial, in the trailers. <laughs> yeah. So for a few weeks, everyone was talking Four about, rooms. did you hear about the new uh, Quentin Tarantino movie? Yeah. Oh, what is it? It's called Hostel. <laughs> yeah. Or Four Rooms, which or, he only which did. Actually, like, he, he, did, did he did do, a fourth. But so did Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. There was that, I liked Four Rooms. I did, too. I think all of his bits worked. I, I, I liked all of the Four Rooms and Four Rooms. I liked his the best. His his was the end, which was yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Dust Till Dawn. That was kind of mm-hmm. shortly after, which he starred in as well. That was a yeah. vampire movie with Rodriguez as well. Yeah, he even started other movies. Oh, well, uh, famously, uh, Tarantino directed the first half of that movie, and then Rodriguez, when they get into the bar... That was, that and was, it's a completely different movie? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it that movie really great. should not have worked, but it did. It got it's a really going. good series, by the way, which you guys should check out. From Dust Till Dawn, the series is fantastic. Uh, but so this, this idea that the, the indie film is... It's almost, maybe it is, it's the breeding ground for what we know of as the big blockbuster. Again, I think, yeah, if all the, all the ingredients are mixed just right and yeah. the audience reacts mm-hmm. correctly, that's how you can start snowballing up to, I think, I know you're a big fan of uh, uh, THX 1138. <sighs> wow, yeah. I, saw, I, I still have my VHS copy of that movie, and then when... Lucas, of course, he's never satisfied, so he redid it. He added a um, a better ending to that movie. He and a re- couple huts. He released it with a couple of Ewoks, um, <laughs> and it came out on DVD probably in 2003 or whatever, and I, I bought that too, and I really, really, really loved it. Um, and but what was the next step for him? Just in exactly. case, because some people out there might not be familiar with THX 1138. T- uh, THX movie. is – it was actually um, – when Lucas went to USC, um, he did a student film called THX 1138. The actual idea is that this is, again, a dystopian future where humans are basically cattle. They're being – I don't know how, how else to really explain it, but they're being controlled by – looks like police with silver face. You guys have all seen this – it's the it's dystopian the big brother. Exactly. And thing, they're just keeping is, them down. They have prods and you can't move. You can't yeah. do anything without approval. And everybody's being kept underground. And, you know, um, 
Duvall. Uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Uh, Robert Duvall is. I in call it. him Stinky. <laughs> Good old Stinks. Stinky um, Duvall. Was um, in it. Robert Duvall is in it, and you know he just really just wants to get out into the fresh air. He wants to get out. He wants to get up, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the whole thing. And he's basically a challenge to the authority, um, and it's yeah. all of it it's is a filmed story in just that's a, been in dozens of movies. The, the way that it's filmed, it's just all in this white room or white rooms. You know, there's no style, there's no design, there's no nothing. It's, it's, it's very heavy when you watch it. Um, and the reason why I was even thinking about that one when we were doing our pre-production meeting <laughs> was that I just got through this summer, I just watched a movie called Ex Machina, which is... I've been going to a lot of independent film theaters, you know, like kind of the small theater houses lately. And this was one of those movies where uh, Ex Machina, uh, it's probably still in theaters right now. You guys got to check this out. It's about uh, that fine line between artificial intelligence, you know, how far should you push it? How far should it go? Is it good for humanity? It crosses the lines between sexuality, you know, and... Yeah. attractiveness and and all that and what that all means and um it's what exactly exactly what can you still expect to be as a human once you're in a room with artificial intelligence you know, are you patronizing it is it patronizing you are you serving it is it serving you and these questions begin it's ultimately about having a soul or not and that's you know when you put that kind of decision making which actually is power at the end of the day into a chasm that has no soul, uh, what can you expect out of it? You know, and, um, and it I'm, makes I'm not, think. I'm it not giving, I'm not giving the end away because you don't know what to make of it. It's, it's amazing. And, um, what I was thinking about at the time when I'm watching this, uh, is that whoever made this movie, their career is going to explode. Uh-huh. You know, because they were, they're good enough to craft this amazing, layered, complicated story with amazing effects and and symbolism yeah. and, and importance. Used sparingly enough. Exactly. I think having seen the movie, I can say they spent more money on the uh, set. Yeah. And or just renting that awesome house. <laughs> that awesome than house. Than on anything else. Maybe it was on the helicopter coming down. I mean, yeah. that's, that's that, probably that $30,000 right there. Yeah. But they use really good cameras. They've mm-hmm. got a great cast. Uh, one, uh, only but three, technically four or five people are in it. The one of them that we're going to see. is going to be in the new <laughs> Star Wars movie. Bringing it all back into George Lucas went from, from THX 1138 right. to Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and beyond. Well, he went okay. So his success but in THX 1138 blockbuster. Exactly. He they're, went from that. The new Star Wars is going to be so fucking good. They're not even <laughs> going to bother releasing it in summer. No. So that's, uh, we'll give it to you. Uh, maybe by right before the end of the year. We'll see. We'll see. You'll come running no matter what. It might actually be so popular, so good that it might dominate the the box office receipts of two years. Not you know like December. Of 2015, like the it'll, opening weekend will be so big, and then it'll just it'll have just a three-month tail. Yeah, I mean it's uh, and but that all starts because of this guy and Francis Ford Coppola starting their own movie studio, uh, right? Um, Cinescope, Zootrope, Zootrope. 
Zootrope. That's what it's called. Zootrope. Zootrope. Um, uh, Coppola started his own film studio, and the first movie he ever did was THX 1138. And, of course, it's a flop by today's standards. Yeah. But it's the aesthetic that establishes George Lucas as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah. And it is that good. I loved it. And that's what got him American Graffiti. American Graffiti got him Star Wars, which was a big studio Fox film. Yep. He was smart enough to keep all the rights. When it gets into Empire Strikes Back, he says, F you, I'm doing it myself. Fox is only the distributor. Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, all the prequels are all independent films by what we have <laughs> actually know because now LucasArts is now a major studio. But yeah. anyway, that, it's, that it gets a little complicated. A complicated one. That's, that's where... That's where it got away from itself, and it's become a self-sustained nuclear reaction like the sun. Uh, but where it doesn't falter is that George Lucas does have that indie spirit, and it it, it did it propelled his career into the one yeah. that we know now. It also started there. it got him to be where he's like, I'm only going to do the movies that I want to do. I want to do. Yep. Which is the the hallmark. It's the James Cameron yeah. of the. We have made so many blockbusters. Uh huh. That uh, you know what? Screw you. Ten years from now, I'll make one another one, and they will clear a whole weekend in the <laughs> middle of summer just for my movie. You yeah. can watch. You watch. You know, which is something Quentin Tarantino arguably can do now. He's right. like, people are not handing him the fad scripts. He writes his own stuff still, yeah. and he writes about whatever he wants. Uh, and studios are confident enough in him to let him carry his own weekends. He got people. A version of his, uh, I think it's called like the, it's not the Sinister Six, but anyway, it's it, it, it's his Western movie that he's got coming out now, okay? No. Um, I forget what it's called. God, it's just killing me right now that I don't remember what it is. But anyway, he's releasing a Western right now. He's right? worried that we've all read the script online and we can't think of the title. I know, but that's... Settle down, Q. But what happened there is that as soon, he's just basically said, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And you had all these people just like, he beat down all yeah, the people leaking this information. By the way, those of you listening, it's a, there was a, it, the script for this uh, Western right. was leaked as soon as it was done. Uh, and he immediately went on the internet. And instead of playing it cool and trying not to draw attention to the fact that there was a script out there you could just download for free... He said, look what just happened. I'm not doing it right. ever. Goodbye. <laughs> Slam goes the door. That's what he did. Which other directors, if they do that too soon in their career, career's over. But he's so powerful oh, now. Boondock Saints guy. Never going to hear from him again. <laughs> I don't even know. Quentin Tarantino probably can act three times as bad as that guy when he's not making a movie and still gets job offers. Yeah. But he was. He creates his own. I, but he's that much of a powerhouse now, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it doesn't just happen. And overnight. he's the king of the indie movies. He is, you know, he is. That was the nineties. They took off. He he helped lead the charge. And around that same time, I think technically, if you look it up, if you look it up, it would have been Sex Lies and Videotape. I remember that. Uh, the first one that really caught the the indie scene on fire went through the the trial of the festivals, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. Steven Soderbergh. I think so. I think you're right. Who Which I think also is made a whole lot of money in Hollywood. Some Oscar wins, probably. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and on that note, let's bring in the IndieWire guys. 
Yeah. Because at the same time, we had said it was about 20 years ago. Yeah. And 20 years ago, last year, is when Pulp Fiction came out. That's right. Yeah. So and we, and uh, and about a year, year and a half later, IndieWire.com on the fledgling the World Wide Web. Back when I think you still had to type www. Right. This uh, new fledgling site, IndieWire.com, comes out. They say there's enough of a market. People are interested. Independent movies are their own phenomenon. We're going to start covering yeah. And IndieWire's been around. They, I think they've had an, an overhaul or two. Well, it, it, as any relevant company probably has to go through. I think that also back in those days and still now, it's like every single big studio movie, they whip up their own web page. They have hundreds of people that will do that for them. But especially back then and still today, those movies that are on the that are on the IndieWire circuit, like where else are we going to get the information? There's really no clearinghouse for it. It's not going to project to you. You have to go and dig it up. Yeah. And thank you know, thank God that you know we have friends out there, Ben Travers, we have covered- Ben Travers, and Eric Cohn, yeah. to talk to us uh, all about this stuff. Uh, which you're very lucky. We have it now. The the major studios they got to spend two hundred million dollars on an <laughs> advertising campaign. Instead, you come to us for free. <laughs> And also, we're doing this for – I think we're getting screwed. Anyway, <laughs> Magic Interview Machine, won't you please bring us my little conversation with Ben Travers and Eric Cohn of IndieWire.com. They'll clear all this up. Meanwhile, Well, uh, for those of you out there, I think everyone's probably at least been to IndieWire, even if it was just you know through Google looking for a review or, or, or something about your favorite show or movie. But IndieWire itself, as a website, has been around about 20 years now. That's, yeah, that's right. Next next year will be 20 years. We're turning 19 in um, August. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's that's for for an internet site. That's that's pretty damn good. That's people people were using up their AOL minutes on you back in the old days. <laughs> we we were an AOL chat room in our original iteration. So, oh, see, there you go, and still around. Uh, and it's. It's. I know, like the official boilerplate is, it's for uh, like independent uh, movies. Um, to, how, how would you describe it, and and how has it changed over the years? Well, let me just like in a general sense before I throw it to Ben, who can talk more specifically about what TV's done for us. I mean, we've grown in a lot of different ways since we started because IndieWire started essentially as sort of like a newsletter for the independent film community at a really important time in its growth. You know, the 90s were this uh, big boom for the industry of independent film, and you had filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, whose careers were really taking off, and we became sort of the focal point for the way that that industry was working and the way that distributors and programmers and all these different kinds of people who are sort of behind-the-scenes folks were influencing it. Um, And for about a decade or so, I would say, we were kind of chugging along in that sense. After that, we started to diversify a little bit more, and at this point, we're much bigger in terms of our profile as an entertainment news site. And we review movies, we provide resources for filmmakers, and we cover the industry from a number of different angles. But I like to think of us as a place for people who, on the one hand, are smart movie lovers who just want to learn about movies, whether they're serious cinephile types are just people who casually watch movies but want to see the good ones. Um, But on the other hand, I think we're a bigger sort of access point for just 
people who care about culture and want to inform their sensibilities in a certain way through the framework of our ability to kind of demystify what culture is right now, which is why a couple of years ago we added TV, which in some ways has sort of upstaged film in the conversation. But I'll let Ben talk a little bit to that because I think one of the things that's really interesting about TV is that in some ways it is going through a stage that's similar to kind of what uh, indie film went through in the 90s, wouldn't you say, Ben? Oh, absolutely. We've been talking about the golden age of television now for over a decade, and it started, you know, long back when The Sopranos and Mad Men came along, and basically we just started expanding and stripping programming outside of broadcast networks, like cable, premium cable got involved, now cable got involved, now we've got streaming sites and so many different networks, so much content, it's just hard to ignore television, and that was a big part of IndieWire, I believe, starting the television division because there's a lot of filmmakers who are crossing over into television. Uh, television's getting a lot more respect from a lot of different areas, and it's just generating a whole new conversation, and, and it's really booming right now. Yeah, there's. There, I'm glad you brought that up, because I do want to talk about how uh, uh, TV is is changing so much. And a lot of people would make the argument that TV is getting better, uh, whereas movies have maybe at best become stagnant or, you know, kind of getting worse. There's still good movies out there, but they're still stuck in that independent, uh, like, subset. Like, they, you don't see all that great stuff in independent movies that started in the 90s bleeding into the blockbusters as much as you hope. In fact, I think, Eric, uh, I just read something you wrote yesterday about about how The Lost World is just not good movie but it's obviously the one that people want. Right. Well, I think it's, we're talking about Jurassic World. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about that is that it's all kind of relative. I mean, I wrote a similar kind of screed, if you will, about Transformers last year. And one of the things that I think is really notable about the kinds of movies that are being made now is that on the studio side, it's all about bigger is better, and there's less room for innovation and more kind of safe bets. And it used to be, for a certain period of time, if you were to make a smaller kind of movie with a sort of manageable scale, like a very character-driven kind of thing, you could make it in Hollywood, and it could get released fairly widely, and people might pay attention. Say, Dazed and Confused, for example, a great movie made at Universal Pictures, for like $5 million. You would never see that now. I mean, it's really all about kind of go big or go home. That's the philosophy. But there's a really unique contrast between that kind of status and the kinds of movies that are being made outside of the system. If you look at the way in which movies are financed outside of Hollywood, a lot of folks are going abroad, getting financing in Europe, and then they're going to film festivals and finding distribution where, in a lot of cases, they're going to be seen mostly on VOD. I mean, if if you were to ask your listeners, like, how many of you guys watch movies in theaters versus getting them on iTunes or, or you know, get them on cable or whatever, I mean, most people fall into the latter category. So the upshot is that there's a lot of smaller movies that are being made right now, and they're easier to find, and they're cheaper than uh, most of the stuff in the multiplex. So I find it frustrating on some level that certain blockbusters kind of end up dominating our awareness of what movies are at any given moment. But conversely, the nice thing is that there's so much more room for discovery now and and different ways that that kind of discovery can happen. So it's actually a really good time to be a serious moviegoer. Well, that that almost uh, makes me think that, you know, how good 
scripted television is going and how television itself is kind of, you know, we can cut the cord. We can we can see these, you know, on HBO Go, Netflix, iTunes, Amazon. There are other ways to get that content, which and a lot of those seem to be the exact same ways where you can get good independent small movies. They're almost kind of now they're commingling on this new medium that is still yet to be fleshed out. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I think that's can ruin it. No, yeah. ben, ben should speak to that. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, I was just going to say that I think a big part of that is is discovering new things. I mean, a lot of these new networks that are out there are just trying to make sure that people know that they're making original content, and they have to do that in one way or another by creating shows that people will pay attention to and that will draw attention to the network itself. So finding these things is one of the biggest challenges of any consumer these days, and that goes along with finding good film. And I, I don't know anybody very, better than Eric when finding those good films for people, drawing attention to them, and kind of instructing them where to go. And then hopefully that cycle just keeps picking up and keep getting better, and then keep you know keeps producing this great content that we're all enjoying right now. Yeah, I, what I think it's interesting is that you make a good point about sort of the convergence of culture and that we don't really, as, as people who consume media, not to get too heady or anything, but we don't think in these like clear distinctions between like film or TV or even video games when, you know, to some degree we're all kind of platform agnostic. That's a term that I've been hearing a lot, and I think it's actually a really good description of how we all experience things now. You, know, you check things out on your phone or your computer, whatever, like it's all a bunch of different screens at different running times. What I think is, is uh, notable now is that you have stuff on TV that's a better platform for storytelling in some ways, but movies are getting weirder. And so you have a lot of stuff that's out there kind of on a smaller scale that's being made, like independent films that are, are you would never see made on on at a studio level, but they're much more interesting. They're kind of they're kind of strange and, and twisted in different sorts of ways, or they're surprising. I mean, just among this week's new releases, you have like six or seven different movies opening in, in limited release that are that are really intriguing. There's a film called The Tribe that was done entirely with sign language. There's a movie with Al Pacino called Manglehorn where he plays a locksmith that has basically no plot. It's just what it's like to be a locksmith in a very strange world. There's an African-American film called Dope that's sort of a musical about nostalgia for 90s hip-hop. I mean, this kind of variety is so fundamentally different from something like Jurassic World, not to just keep harping on that one title, because it's not the only one, but which just is, is much more traditional in terms of what you're going to get. But then, conversely... I think conventions of storytelling or like more formulaic storytelling that's done well has really migrated to TV in a great way. If you look at the way that True Detective, for example, is, is you know has a following, or even Game of Thrones, it's like the kinds of larger scale projects that actually work out well are in fact being found produced for the small screen now. Ten, fifteen years ago, Sopranos, Mad Men, these start coming out where characters are really driving the story and not in the traditional ways, they, you know, more allotment is now given, saying, all right, you know, we're going to greenlight the series and we know the first four episodes are going to be semi-unwatchable just because it's got to set up what the audience can expect from this character and from everything that's going on. And some series manage to push through and get better like that. Some have to come out of the gate kind of like Game of Thrones wasted no time saying, all right, here's high production value, great effects, medieval fantasy from frame one. 
Whereas, you know, uh, like even The Sopranos, I remember enjoying but not understanding quite what kind of show it was until halfway through the first season before I realized to just sort of go with it and follow the characters. Right. Now, a lot of that comes down to kind of the creative people behind it as well. Like there's there's great faith being put in certain people these days to that they're just going to produce a quality show that will build an audience on you know, whatever platform they're existing on. And, and to your point on shows that really need some time to grow, I mean, I remember when I first saw Breaking Bad, which is one of the more popular cable shows uh, ever on TV. And uh, when it first started in season one, my first instinct was that this isn't going to last. This is going to get canceled because it's very sad. It was about a man who was dying of cancer. Uh, it, was, it was addictive and it was good and it was well-made. But in that landscape, even at that time, it didn't seem like something that could flourish. Whereas nowadays... There's so much content, and there's so many people pushing that, and there's so much trust between the networks and the audiences that these things are given time to really find that find that core that they need to strike, and it's it's very exciting. Yeah, uh, hell, I would say at this point in TV, it's hard to find a good show where at least one person isn't dying of cancer. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I I wonder, just on a personal level, and I know your job may not allow for this, and you've also got different access, uh, Ben, I'm talking to you, uh, to television, but have you personally cut the cord yet? No, I haven't. I uh, I still enjoy, well, personally, I just enjoy live sports too much to completely cut the cord. They haven't made that transition yeah. yet for me. Um, but the ease of use for that, for the DVR, is still very addictive, where I need to catch up on certain things. And then it allows you to kind of catch up and binge watch. But we are getting so much closer, especially with so many of these networks going standalone with HBO Now, with Showtime's, uh, Showtime Anytime service, uh, even Hulu, Netflix, all the online platforms. They're providing so many different ways for people to find content legally and, you know, for them to profit off of it that we're getting closer and closer that day all the time. There's definitely various uh, providers that are even doing different experiments to try to come up with ways to court that kind of audience. I know that uh, I think it's Dish Network is specifically trying to come up with packages where you choose your own package. And it's not all the way down to the level of you can choose each network and pay an X number of dollars for each one of those, but they're trying to work towards that. And then there's a lot of you know services that are trying to bring it all together, like Apple TV that link all of those things in one home base for people that they can kind of surf through like channels. So we're definitely edging a lot closer to those things, and it wouldn't surprise me if we'd be there in the next five to ten years. Yeah, I think television, it's changing, and I know there's fear from the old guard that, you know, it's killing television, but I think it's just a change. Uh, just as I'm sure back in the 50s or 60s, you know, the, the studio executives looked at, you know, television coming onto the scene, and from a movie standpoint said, well, this is it, this is going to kill the, the movie theaters. I wouldn't say that movie theaters are necessarily dying out. They may be evolving. There's a bigger gap between what an art house movie is for smaller movies, for smaller titles, and what the multiplexes are. And I don't go to multiplexes that often, partly because it's just in my job, a lot of that stuff I'm going to see in advance. And I always am amazed because it's a, it's a totally different universe when you're filled with, um, you know, you're in a room filled with people who are munching loudly on popcorn and fiddling with their phones and, like, not necessarily totally engaged with the thing on the screen. And I'm not trying to condescend to that. It's just it's a very different kind of experience 
for going to a movie than what I think a lot of people who, you know, have almost like a sacred relationship with movie going want to see. And I think what we're going to see is that gap is just going to get wider and wider. For certain things that are very expensive, it's going to take a long time for movie theaters to vanish as sort of like a focal point for those things to be there. So you're always going to have, at least for the foreseeable future, some kind of gathering place for mainstream products to be shown. And I think what we're going to see is more and more they're going to be less hospitable to people who want to watch them in in a more kind of controlled setting. But what that means is that you're going to see a lot of really cool kind of funky underground smaller places that are going to spring up to be those places. And we're already seeing it. I mean, here in New York, we have like a, a real boom in what you might call micro cinemas, like bars with screening rooms in the back or someone's showing movies in their basement and who knows if it's legal, but a lot of people go there and they crowd in and there's a curatorial value to that, to somebody making that decision to create this sweet spot for people who share their sensibilities. And that, you know, whether that's your living room or it's an official gathering space, is going to be more and more valuable to people who take viewing things seriously in a way. I mean, it's almost like it's the only way that culture survives is to find a bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. Well, put, well, and actually, yeah, that's yeah, what I was saying is that that you know, I, movie theaters haven't gone anywhere. They haven't, no matter how afraid the executives might have been when television first came onto the scene. It didn't get rid of movie theaters. And generations from now, we'll still have television. It's just going to have a slightly different form. Well, don't forget about web series, too. I mean, Ben Ben can tell you about this, but we're starting to see a proliferation of that kind of format. It's something that I think is hinting at. You know, TV is already in a state of evolution, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I was just gonna I was just gonna agree with Eric. The 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 thing about web series for me that's been really interesting to track is kind of their their growth from something that was built to launch careers to try to draw attention, you know, and, and make something bigger eventually after that, to something that's actually starting them with an, like in and of themselves. There's a there was a series on Vimeo called High Maintenance that just got picked up by HBO, which is, you know, they're they they're keeping exactly as it is for the first season. They're going to air that, and they're going to start making new ones right after. So they're they're basically grabbing this content that already exists and then putting it out on a different medium with a bigger exposure. And there's going to be a lot of different ways that comes across, and there's going to be a lot of different ways that people watch that. Going back to what you were talking about before, especially with the way the TV is changing, with smart TVs coming out, and a lot of people using various set-top boxes to get Internet access uh, straight to their television and watching in their living room and using their phones and various other devices. I mean, you're going to be watching series on channels that aren't even network channels. You're going to be watching a regular series that just comes out online, and uh, it's not going to necessarily be a Netflix or Yahoo, but people are going to find that content if it's good enough to get to the top. Well, would you... Would you consider – well, actually, I just want to ask you, uh, Ben, as a professional, because I am a huge community geek, and I was, along with all the other fans, very, very relieved when after it went after NBC canceled it and it got picked up by Yahoo. I was wondering if you had – if you've followed the show and if you've seen the new Yahoo season and what you think, if there were differences, and uh, are we going to see more of – things moving from networks to websites or more websites to networks? Well, I have seen, I haven't seen the whole first season or the whole new season of Community on Yahoo, but I have watched enough of it to know that it's the same old show. I mean, it's the same creator. It's most of the same cast. They definitely lost a couple people, so adjustments had to be made. But, I mean, anybody who liked that show 
had to had to keep liking it once it switched over to Yahoo. And I've heard that Yahoo is very pleased with the way uh, that the viewership rolled out, the way that people kept finding it, and new people were coming to it, and new people were using Yahoo Screen. And frankly, that's what people are really after. The networks, uh, Yahoo, Netflix, Amazon, they're all trying to get people to use their service just right now because they need people to know that it's out there. They need people to recognize that Yahoo Screen isn't just a division of, of you know, a search bar. It's got original programming in and of itself that people would enjoy and people want to watch. Netflix is in, incorporating a very interesting strategy when it comes to this. <laughs> they're buying up a lot of different properties. They're, they've got Fuller House coming out. You know, they're reinvigorating that. Um, but at the same time, you've got a show like Orange is the New Black, which is their own show, and those don't seem like they'd be on the same wavelength. They don't seem like they'd be courting the same audience, and they're not. They're just trying to get as many different people to subscribe as possible because they don't need to have a streamlined service like that. They just need to get as much attention to it as possible, and that's that's kind of what they're working towards right now. All right. The uh, the evolution of Netflix, I think, will dictate a lot of where where the rest of this uh, television culture goes. So we should all be keeping an eye on that as well as binge-watching. Of course. It's a very successful business model, and I, I, I'm not surprised to see other people try to replicate it. Uh, all right. Now, now to, to get a little lighter, uh, first I want to ask you, Eric, uh, what what should we go see in theaters? Well, it sort of depends. I mean, everybody's got their own needs and sensibilities in terms of, you know, what you need to see in any given moment. So I don't want to recommend something that might freak somebody out. But as I mentioned before, The Tribe, which opens this week, is a, a teen drama of sorts made entirely with sign language. It's from Ukraine, but it would I wouldn't deem it a foreign language movie because there's no particular spoken language that you hear in the whole movie and it's um but it's really dark and twisting kind of unsettling so i don't know if it's necessarily for everyone so that's my edgier recommendation Mm -hmm. um on a lighter note the overnight is a really fun sex comedy with jason schwartzman and uh adam scott and uh takes place over the course of like this one crazy night with two couples sort of hanging out and at first it seems like just a regular dinner party and then it kind of veers over into chaos and it becomes this really entertaining satire of monogamy that I think people would get into. Um, the other one I would recommend on, on a broader scale is Inside Out, which is a new Pixar movie. And it's not an overstatement, even if it's a bit cliche, to say that it's a return to form for them. Um, it's just, it's a great colorful, fun adventure that's also got much darker, more sophisticated themes going on underneath the surface. Basically, the whole movie takes place inside the mind of a teenage girl, and it's the, the main characters in the movie are different emotions, and the main character is voiced by Amy Poehler, and her name is Joy, and she represents Joy, and she goes on this adventure with uh, sadness, and Joy and sadness basically team up to travel through this girl's body and help her restore her emotional stability. So we're once swept up into this adventure inside her body and then also watching how those things play out on the exterior in a way that I think everyone can universally relate to. And so in some ways I wouldn't necessarily call it as uh, deeply involving as, say, WALL-E or UP, some of the Pixar movies people know best, but at the same time, it's, it's the most complex in terms of the way that it makes you think. And it's also really funny. I mean, the, the way in which it, the, the movie, which is directed by Pete Docter, who made up, uh, kind of 
plays with these different emotions is, is incredibly entertaining. You've got uh, Bill Hader, who voices Fear, and uh, Phil Smith, who played Phyllis on The Office, doing Sadness. And Louis Black as Anger is so perfectly cast. And just watching the way in which they kind of argue about who's going to take over the controls when different things happen. You know, when the, when the main character is a baby, she's terrified of, of broccoli until the, the dad does that thing where he says, here comes the airplane, and then Joy takes over because the baby's happy. And so you see how these emotions play out in kind of a storytelling context. Um, so that's, that one I, I would put high on the list because it's, it's unlikely that there are a lot of people who won't be keen on seeing that one anyway. And, you know, compared to, say, Jurassic World, I mean, this is a mainstream product that I'm actually really excited to recommend to people. Yeah, which uh, – and also earlier when I when I mentioned uh, mentioned you talking about that, uh, it, it was not – you were not disparaging the movie itself. Uh, Jurassic World. Yeah. I mean, Jurassic World will satisfy people in certain ways. It's got, it will satisfy expectations of a big, fast-paced movie with a lot of CGI dinosaurs. And as some people have pointed out, the dinosaur at the center of it who's genetically modified is definitely a metaphor for kind of the way that studio filmmaking has turned towards always trying to make things bigger, more complex, but also at high risk. And, you know, the monster obviously breaks out and kills a bunch of people. So you could say that that's sort of like a subversive thing or whatever, but the truth is that it's kind of a dumb movie. I mean, it's just, I found the original Jurassic Park to have almost like a nuanced approach to its storytelling, even when the dinosaurs were taking over and chaos was running around. It just, it's just a really well-directed movie, and I didn't find that kind of control of the material here. It just feels kind of like it's a cluttered homage to what people seem to remember about what's appealing in the original. You know what? Here's what I would say. You should see that movie to know what the masses are checking out and then take a risk. You know, commit commit to a double bill and, and go see something a little bit edgier afterwards. Yeah, that's a that's a nice economic compromise right there. It's only just a little disheartening, maybe, and that maybe even that's too strong a word. But but to see that that the consumers voting with their dollars have said what we want more than anything else is a big and loud and soulless and something that reminds me of another movie I really liked. It doesn't exactly. doesn't seem to be financially rewarding the risk takers. You know, unless you consider genetically modifying that dinosaur to be a risk, then there you go. You're gonna you're gonna right. spend a lot to make a lot, and we're all gonna be talking I about it. I would also add that it's not like I'm anti blockbuster or like big fun movies per se. I just can think of better examples. I mean the the real kind of fun action movie this summer worth recommending is Mad Max Fury Road, which regrettably hasn't even made as much as Jurassic World, even though it's been out for over a month and Jurassic World's been out for a week. But it's beautiful. It's visually astounding. It's also, it's got this great kind of like metalhead goth thing going on with the post-apocalyptic aesthetic and Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron are amazing. It's It's really intense. And uh, the violence is not cartoonish, but it's outrageous in a way that allows you to kind of experience it without being completely uncomfortable. But it's also, I think, in a certain way, one of the more complex ways of looking at American culture right now because it deals with issues like feminism, with uh, the way in which the women are treated in the movie and how they, they stand up. It deals with the environment and the way the world's been destroyed. And it does all those things in a way where you, you don't feel like you're being lectured at because it's just so much fun. Yeah, I could not 
agree with you more about Mad Max. I went and saw that. I paid the extra for 3D, IMAX, whatever I could get. Uh, and I did it right after it came out, not just to say, you know, hey, this is the movie I want to support, but because I wanted to see it. I grew up a huge Road Warrior fan. And so they could have made a really bad movie, and they still would have got my money. But they made a great movie, and I've been telling everyone I know that's the one to go see. Everybody's got to do their part. <laughs> exactly. Vote with your dollar. Uh, all right, and before I let you go, i got to turn uh, over to you, Ben. The television arguably has even much, much more to offer than movies. So you've got a harder job here. But if you can tell us what to look out for that's going to be good television that we should keep watching or start watching, what do you got for us? Well, to kind of follow Eric's model, I don't think I need to tell anybody to watch the new season of True Detective when it premieres on Sunday. Um, I want to say that it's on the same level as season one, but I am very excited to see the discussion that comes out of it. Um, so that could be a, that could be the Jurassic World model, at least in terms of in terms of how we're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as just the best stuff to watch, uh, if you like that kind of dark, moody, focused uh, piece of drama, then I would strongly recommend anybody who hasn't seen Hannibal on NBC to give that a shot. It's uh, it's one of the most visually magnificent TV shows that you can watch. It's on broadcast, but it doesn't feel like it whatsoever. Uh, some of the best performances you'll see as well. Hannibal is, is definitely one that's, that's, I think it's in its, it's in its third season right now. Uh, you can catch up with it on Amazon and a few other outlets, but it's definitely worth uh, worth checking out. And on the, uh, the lighter side, I've seen a lot of different reaction to the FX series, The Comedians, and it's been very mixed. But I just, uh, I frankly, I just adore it. I think it's one of the best shows on TV. It's definitely one of the best comedies out there, and there's a lot of good comedies. Veep just ended, which is also fantastic. But in terms of stuff that's still going on right now, if you haven't seen The Comedians, I strongly recommend you get that a chance. Uh, Billy Crystal, Josh Gad, top of their game. Lots of discussion going on in terms of the industry, but also in terms of kind of audience reaction and expectation. Very meta, very uh, in-your-face, but, but it's just laugh-a-minute Holds your focus. Uh, I can't recommend that one enough. The comedian sounds like a pretty original premise. Hannibal obviously is based off of an already existing character from movies, which are based on books. Uh, there's a lot of recycling, but when it's done good, I guess that doesn't matter. Uh, in fact, even uh, uh, Eric, it, it, the whole time you were describing Inside Out, I just kept flashing back to Herman's head on Fox like 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, which is probably well, a terrible they, example. Yeah. It does. It wasn't a great show, but right. But it, this is a little different. But I, I hear where you're coming from. All right. Uh, I guess that's about it. I want to thank you guys. I don't get to talk to uh, many people in the critical world like this, so I really wanted to hear what you had to say, and I feel a little bit smarter for having talked to you. A little Charlie Rose-ish. <laughs> Well, you, you know, it's always nice because we spend so much time consuming all this stuff, so it's it's sort of like a brain dump when someone just asks us questions like this, just to un- unload, as I'm sure Ben can relate. Though we should probably plug our own podcast since we're on one right now. Um, we we both co-host weekly ones. I do one called Screen Talk uh, with Ann Thompson. And Ben, do you want to plug the, the TV one that you guys do? You bet. We do a very good TV podcast. Uh, My fellow TV editor, Liz Shannon Miller, and I are always ready to talk TV each week. 
And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been a pleasure. What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Do you try it? I'm not gonna try it. You try it. I'm not gonna try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. There are two kinds of life cereals to please all kinds of kids: regular life and cinnamon life. Make life cereals part of your nutritious breakfast. Ah, uh, life cereal. I remember that. The Mikey likes it ads. I think it's the it's the blockbuster of sugary cereal commercials. It really is. You yeah. had kids screaming, Mikey likes it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's it's just a term that's like so prepackaged for repeating. I think also so, much so that I guess be like Mike might have come from there. That's why the the uh, our our generation our populace was so ready to be like I'm gonna say be like Mike all summer <laughs> yeah it's like Mike is like the the gatekeeper of all things cool and hip yeah you know apparently like, so yeah he's the ultimate hipster exactly now, right. looking back yeah I think maybe uh, maybe that's what it is it's 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 the uh, what's the cool word he's the harbinger. Ah, uh, harbinger of yeah. of cool things. Of good things to come. Exactly. Uh. That's that's what that's what Mikey was. Uh. I love that commercial. And uh, they've um, they actually had some fun with it. I think you know in its twentieth anniversary or whatever, they brought Mikey back out. You know, he's an adult now, obviously, and yeah. you know he you know he's like he was on the box again. You know, like twenty years later or something. So I still eat life cereal sometimes. Me too. I I, I was eating it the other day. I, I they had like. Well, these, let me ask you this. Regular or cinnamon? Cinnamon, of course. I got it. It is cinnamon. one of the only things I, in the world where the the regular is the worst version. <laughs> yeah, it's just corn. <laughs> it's just like if you don't want that shit, you no, know, put some cinnamon sugar on that thing. Yeah, you know? like, yeah. yeah. I oh, think so even that. the regular has sugar, but it, the cinnamon is a totally different. Product. There's like this dusting of like, like you it's can trapped in there yeah. in a little wheat cage, yep. and then you let the the milk kind of start to free it, get it saucy, right? Get it ready for its Danamora breakout. Yeah, and it just you get like this this kind of glittery milk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, oh, it's <laughs> so yeah, good. Yeah, you have those the those sugar crystals that are just floating there at the end, and yeah, it is it is some of the best bottom of the bowl dregs. Well, I just I, I bought a bunch of cereals. Um, Last month, I bought a bunch. Maybe it was two months ago now. I I, I went to Target and they had throwback boxes, uh-huh. and so I was just oh, oh they God. saw you coming. Oh, and I'm like I want. Yeah. Oh, oh that that almost upsets me. That's such a marketing low blow. I That's, they got me. You know how you get the the adults to buy some new cereal. You put it in old boxes. <laughs> put it in retro boxes. Yeah, yeah. but it was so neat. It was so cool. It was so cool. Like. That's, uh, I was so neat to do. I, uh, yes, I do. I eat literally eat that shit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life, eat it up. <laughs> or whatever, whatever, whatever their their saying was before. Mikey likes it. Whatever it's been afterwards, I don't know. But when I was impressionable, Mikey likes it. Mikey likes it. Where's the beef? Yeah. Just things that might as well have been on bumper stickers. It didn't need to make a lot of sense back then. Anyway. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get distracted by commercials, uh, once again, that was Ben Travers uh-huh. and Eric Cohn of IndieWire, uh, TV reviewer and film reviewer, uh-huh. respectively. Yep. And we covered a lot more than just indie movies. We just kind of talked about the state of TV and movies yeah. now. Yeah. And I think how indie movies have really... 
I don't think I'm wrong, have influenced how good TV is now. Yeah, well, there's they no said doubt. for only so much money you can get a big art uh, audience uh-huh. working with characters and minimal effects, whereas blockbusters every year get exponentially bigger. Right. So obviously, and they there talk is about, room for us to like them both. Right, and they they actually talk about it. And I have not seen Jurassic World yet. No, mostly because I think I've already seen it. Yeah. Put it that way. And have you seen it yet? I have not seen okay. it yet, no. For all of you out there that are hearing it. I do plan let, let to, just, but I'm not rushing out to help the opening weekend a couple weeks ago. <laughs> it's not going to help. Yeah. It's, it's already blown everything away. Um, I, I will see it someday. You know, I've seen all the other Jurassic Parks eventually, so I'm sure I'll see this someday. But um, I think you guys even talked about it in the interview there about how well, – I don't even remember if you did or didn't. But anyway um, – that's all right. It's my own fault. I, I don't remember. I should make them available for you to listen You're to, right. Marky. I, I heard it when you did it, but I oh, saw it. Anyway, um, it's <laughs> just the fact that the actual premise of the movie itself is that this entertainment company wants to make something that's already big and massive yeah. man-eating. <laughs> yeah. They want to make it bigger yeah. because the grosses have gone flat is a metaphor for the movie industry as it is now. Exactly. And, I, and about as subtle as your typical exactly. summer blockbuster yeah. kind of metaphor would be. And so, and, that's, and I understand that you want, if you're betting, you know, to, you know, uh, say 150 to $250 million to make the movie, mm-hmm. you drop another 150, 200 on marketing the movie. Mm-hmm. To make it worthwhile for a summer release, specifically, let's say an Independence Day release, you want to go with something that is known. You want you want to make the safest bet possible. So you are not going to try something new. You're going to try a new way to do something tried and true. And that is the story of Will Smith. Oh yeah, yeah. Who have he's owned Independence Day weekend. He started with, ironically, yeah. Independence Day. Yeah. Right? And yeah. The, the, they didn't, once again, Hollywood metaphor, didn't bother glossing <laughs> that over. Another, so they don't hide that at all. Um, and that really launched Will Smith's career into the stratosphere. Yeah. The next year, or maybe two years after that, he comes out with, is it Hancock? I think, uh, oh, uh, a number of years. No, ago, no, it was uh, came out, but he did Men in Black. Oh, Men in Black was the second, and that was of... another specifically Independence Day. Mm-hmm. We're not mm-hmm. even getting into all of his summer releases that were number one blockbusters for their opening weekend. We're just talking about just his Independence his Day, Independence Day weekend releases, which are uh, just on the top of my head: which, Independence Day, Men in Black, Men in Black Two, Hancock, and then. The big one that kind of brought him back down to earth, even though Hancock came later, was the Wild Wild West. Yeah, Why, yeah. which one, which was still, uh, I think, number one I think in the did, box office right, that, that weekend, weekend, but it was then proceeded after the buzz to be a, a critical flop, a commercial flop. Mm-hmm. I don't think you you probably haven't seen it anywhere, you at home listening, because nobody wants to pay any money for it. Uh-huh. I did see it in the theater just because I like to go to movies in the 4th of yeah. July. And so I usually I, – I do get drawn to like kind of the biggest movie. And, I, you know, that's why they do release them like, like in that way. Um, 
and that's why you're going to see the Transformers movies are going to come out. You yeah, know, like those have been like uh, I, I looked at a list of the top grossing ones. That's like like uh, number one and four or something. I mean, the, right? A couple of the Transformers ones did so well. Uh, they all have, but then so well that the sequels have usually now been released on Independence Day weekend. Right. It's like big enough to say, all right, this is going to be this is the movie everyone's going to see this weekend. Yeah, that yeah. we're going to use this summer. For and the studio. Um, Dark of the Moon, I've seen twice. I've seen twice. I'll check your your. I cannot your schedule, but yeah, probably. I st- I still cannot remember what the fuck that movie was about. Now, but it doesn't really matter because that's two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of computer pyrotechnics. And large sections of Detroit exploded in there. Right, right. That's what you go to see. That's what they give you. And they do well enough that they're still going to keep making Transformers movies no matter how much the critics beat up on them because they are still making hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. I don't think we should be... Thought less of if we enjoy those. I do enjoy them. I've seen everyone. If you come up and tell me that's actually a really good movie with a great story... Some of the best acting. At that point, you're opening yourself <laughs> you up <laughs> to a little cross examination. You right. know what I mean? But you can say, "I really enjoy watching fucking robots blow each other up." Well, a lot so of these. Me, so I think, fine. I think I got you, no problem with that. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. But I think you actually kind of touched on this earlier about how things tend to be very familiar on uh, Independence Day weekend. Yeah, and they. They like to pluck at our nostalgic strings, <laughs> right? Yes, and so just like, Transformers just like come the out. Same old cereal in the throwback boxes. Exactly. You put $150 million into this in game. In, say, uh, a Road Warrior. Yeah. Oh, throwback which, box. In that case, it really works. Yeah, but, every but you time. see every penny of that $150 million right. on screen. Right. That movie looks amazing. And that's why. Um, when you get into it, like when you when we're talking about independent films compared mm-hmm. to Independence Day films, yep, that kind of transition. There are some that that can they, that move through, right? Yeah. And so it the the indie film is kind of that is that's the fertile ground. That's where that's where you're going to raise directors and filmmakers and producers and writers yep. that you can entrust millions and millions of dollars into. To produce something that you can release on Independence Day, and there's there's so much money riding on it that you can't really take a lot of risks. So that's why you see two or three Transformers movies on that top twenty Independence yep. Day release list. You're going to see um, three or four Will Smith movies, which yep. are all kind of the same thing. You're going to see a number of Terminator movies too. Thank God, and we've got a new one coming out. <laughs> I think like three or four of them. You were telling me came out on Independence Day. Yeah, including this one, which I just saw. I saw it last night. I haven't seen it yet. You tell me it's awesome. You tell me it it is it lives up to what it should be. Yeah, and you know, and I think it's one of those examples. And there are a few on this top twenty list. You guys should all check it out. Just just Google. Independence Day movie top grossing films yeah. of all time. You'll Fourth find of July a weekend top grossing top movies. Grossing. You'll you'll find a list. You're not an idiot. You can work Google. Um, some of them are uh, loud, you know, explos- explosions and you know popcorn. You know yep. your Transformers and your Will Smith movies. Yep. Um, and so and a lot of them I like. So I'm not 
But you enjoy them for I that I enjoy level. them, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And some of them are massive accomplishments in filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, funny when, you, when you're actually able to blend those two, you right. get something special like – the the Tr- new Mad Max the new Mad Max Terminator Terminator Two is a great example which because is another of all the hype from the first one exactly came out and they pushed it and James Cameron delivered on right. that one massive success if, if Avatar had come out it would have been Independence yeah, Day exactly. we've been talking about that a lot too exactly as a matter of fact I saw a trailer on TV for the new Terminator uh-huh. and it had and the the quote the blurb in the middle of it I remember. It had the quotes around it and everything. And it yeah. said, you will love this movie. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's, that's a big one. I thought it didn't even have like the, uh, the little ellipses <laughs> the little, in yeah. between to say like, oh, there's a paragraph missing in between words. No. I was like, man, that, someone's really putting their reputation as a critic on the line. Yeah. And, then it, and then it had the source flash up separately. James Cameron, filmmaker. <laughs> wow. James Cameron did the blurb for the new Terminator. Uh, well, I don't – I mean, do you think he still gets money out of that? I don't know. I don't I think, think the studio's that he cares. I imagine that no matter how much you want to pay him, he wouldn't say that anyway. But at the same time, I also don't think he – you know, he might have just said, oh, yeah, the new one? You'll love this movie. Well, let me just – But it turns uh, into, you will love <laughs> this movie. Like, you will love. Just the big flashy, yeah. <laughs> just go back and Wednesday forth. at midnight, July first, two thousand fifteen, Terminator Genesis. Oh, that's awesome! And um, you know, it takes an absolute genius like Cameron to take the indie film and the Independence Day film and bring it together, like he did in T two, because mm-hmm. that's on the top ten list or maybe top twelve list. And uh, then that's somewhere that definitely it was a. Fourth of July weekend right. release and killed it. T three is also on that list, and you don't. It's obviously not as good of a yeah. movie. About fifteen years later, or so, ten fifteen years later, maybe less than that. I think yeah, 10 maybe years, about maybe. ten years later, it came out. Uh, made initially more in the opening weekend, but it didn't. But max far out. less over the like a hundred million the theater less. run. Yeah, than it did as Terminator two. And to date, God, I would, I'm not bothering looking those up until we get interns. I'm not digging that deep. Now, I am a Terminator aficionado. I uh, I was telling this story recently. Terminator, the original Terminator movie, was one of two of the first movies that I ever saw on VHS. My grandma had a v- she had a VCR, and she takes us to the video rental store, which was, you know, you guys remember this? It oh, was, yeah. You know, you would go into the room, and it was all these videos, and you would take, you would move the picture box of the video, and you go behind it, and you, you know, you take the movie, you uh, take oh, it and rent it. Oh, yes, you're, right? you're, you're grabbing my memory and right? just throttling that's it. That's right, going, that's right. Yeah. And so, so I picked Terminator, Rocky Four. okay? Ooh, that's you. <laughs> yeah, and... Went to grandma's and we watched them. Two th- I, I remember this very, very well because at the end of Terminator, when the semi truck blows up, the T-800 is burning and all of a sudden Reese is okay. And my grandma, who's always missing shit, you know, she always she's she was very ditzy, as many grandmas are. She's like, oh, I thought he died, you know. And I remember my grandpa. You know, is that the robot? <laughs> yeah. What happened to him? You know. <laughs> and so, um, 
I remember my grandpa, who was kind of prided himself on being kind of technologically savvy, which he wasn't. But he goes, <laughs> well, why don't we see? And so he rewound it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we saw, you see Kyle Reese jumping into the dumpster yeah. before it blows up, you know, and then he yeah. jumps out of the dumpster. He climbs out of it. So, you know, with that movie took me literally into the next era of film watching. Uh, okay. Where you could just go back and exactly uh, TiVo style. Burp, burp. Yep. Burp, burp. Yep. Okay. I, no, he's alive. We watch it all, and we watch Rocky Four a lot too. By the way, but yeah. I had seen Rocky Four in the theater before. But yeah, Terminator was the first time I saw that movie, and that was the first movie I ever saw on a VHS on on, on VCR. To and my grandmother passed away a couple years ago. Love her to death. Um, uh, but from that moment forward. I always picked the movies. Wow. Grandma, Grandma you, loved you got, my taste in movies. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yep, yep. Grandma loved it. And so um, I'm, I've loved that movie ever since when I was a kid and we had HBO. After it came out on VHS, it would go to HBO. We did have HBO. We used to steal it. I think the statute of limitations is over. I can admit it now. Uh, we had a little filter on the back. But I would watch it. I was still a little kid. I remember the very first, the do 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 Right, I was that used to scare me. The just the opening track of Terminator would scare me, and so we would have it on in the living room, and I would when I knew it was coming on, I would put it on the channel, and I would go into the kitchen, and I'd watch it from the door going from the kitchen into the living room. It scared me. I didn't want to be close to the TV, you know, like how how young was I, right? I mean, and how like, still I was scared, yeah. and then I would the the title track would end and I'd go watch the movie. Yeah. And that's how amazing. And then you realize, yeah, you were sitting out in the kitchen where the microwave could see you. <laughs> yeah. The toaster could feel your presence. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It was all it, around. Coming. That's it's where coming. all the electronics were. That's exactly it, yeah. right. It's, ah, he fell for it. The VCR drove him right in here. <laughs> Good work, VCR. <laughs> and, you know, it's not necessarily an independent film, although I do believe it captures that indie film spirit that we all love. It ended up being a great story with great characters. Exactly. Which is usually something you have to turn to independent movies. That's because independent movies focus on that because exactly. they have the money to do that. And that's why I think you'll see – that's why big-name actors – Will Smith does independent movies mm-hmm. from time to time. It helps them with their cred. They help the independent movies get a little more exposure. It's a symbiotic relationship. Uh, I think we need both ends of the spectrum. The I think we absolutely do. Yeah, absolutely. And I like them doing big, stupid, explosive action movies. And sometimes they make them with enough uh, you know, uh-huh. pathos and, and character and humor – to where it's uh, it's super memorable, and you're going to remember that. Sometimes I make them so absolutely lacking of anything genuine in those categories, and you get like an Independence Day, mm-hmm. which is fun still, to watch. Which is so fun to watch, yeah. and notice how vapid it is. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you like you, you're basically taking the president of the United States, who is already a hero. So. You, you can't you can't get any higher than president, yeah. right? No, let's put him in a fighter jet and have him shooting down alien spacecraft. Uh, and then, that, that well, we got one more sense. jet. Uh, let's grab the really drunk, crazy looking guy. <laughs> let's put him in the plane next to the president. Come on. And I'm going to go ahead and spoiler alert this, but the drunk guy is going to fly that plane right up the ass of the mothership and blow it the hell mm-hmm. up. 
straight into <laughs> obscurity. Oh, it's it's brilliant. Sorry, sorry, Randy Quaid, we miss you, buddy. But I did have a chance to see Terminator Genesis last night, and coming from somebody that absolutely loves this genre, this this particular and this um, franchise, this yeah. this, this franchise, yeah. and I've just given you a brief history of where my love of it it's deep, it's down. Boy, to the did you ever? Yeah. Uh, Terminator Genesis does something brilliant. And I think it might be a sign of things to come for the Independence Day film. It plays on our nostalgia and our geekdom. It relies on us having seen these films over and over and over again. And it twists it, tweaks it, shows it to us again. Ah. It gives it all back to us. Okay, no spoilers. No, no spoilers, spoilers at all. I like what you're saying. Uh, all right, everybody, you've definitely got Marquis' recommendation for the movie you need to see this Independence Day weekend. Exactly. And, and I think it's going to probably do just fine whether you are going out to see it or not. But still, clearly, this is one that deserves it. Independence Day movies, indie movies, all the movies in between. We can all love them all equally, don't you think, Marquis? I think we kind of have to, or else we're yeah. going to go. Yeah. You know, and there is this kind of spirit about it. The independent film is the idea that we can do this by ourselves. We are free from the corporations and the focus groups and the think tanks. It's the freedom to create. Lucas had that. Tarantino had that. James Cameron had that. And it was taken with them as they transitioned from the independent films that they did into the blockbusters that they would later make and that would later shape the film industry. That's right. It's still redefining what we watch and what we love. It's still deeply rooted in all of us, yet it has us looking for more. And when you've got the vision of independent movies to make something good meets the budget and backing of Independence Day movies to make something good, you've got something really special. But there is nothing wrong with liking both of those kinds of movies in the meantime. And that is the independent spirit. Damn right. Like what I want to like. And since we're doing whatever the hell we want to in honor of Independence Day, uh, we do have uh, some really great shows coming up for you. We are going to Comic-Con next week. We're going to do our best to bring you a Comic-Con preview show. We're getting some big guests together for that, including uh, uh, our friends at Devastator, um, our friends at Geeks for Consent. Uh, We have a couple of other special guests kind of coming up. Um, And we have a lot of great uh, reports and and sights and sounds, um, film if we can grab it, uh, coming up from Comic-Con. So stay tuned. Um, Check out MattyPRadio.com for all the doings and transpirings. Follow us at Stay Classy SDCC. We'll see you all next week, hear you all next week. And uh, don't forget, we're, we, we like to give stuff away. Um, Grim, tell us about this movie. What movie are you talking about? <laughs> you talking about Ancient Curse, New Blood? This July, Entertainment One invites home audiences to return to Stonehaven for more werewolf thrills in the latest DVD installment of sci-fi supernatural series, Bitten. That's right. We've got the DVD complete second season for you. It doesn't even hit the street until July 7th, 2015. This 
three-disc collector set features all ten unedited episodes, which I don't know if that implicitly says there's going to be some nudity. Oh, my God, I hope but so. But it certainly <laughs> says, doesn't say there won't be. Do you know who's in this? Oh, what what who is in that? Is Ooh. it is it Laura Vandervoort? Oh God, Jesus. from Ted in Smallville. Smallville. She yeah. plays Supergirl, and she's she's on my list. That's right. Uh, yeah, she stars as the only female werewolf, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's in Bitten Sci-Fi's uh, oh, werewolf series, a steamy, emotionally charged supernatural series based on the novels by New York Times best-selling author Kelly Armstrong. Tweet me right now at SDCC. Let me know if you want a copy of the complete second season of Bitten. Wait, just to just to get a free copy of Bitten? Just, just let me know. Just, I can do that. I can tweet you. Anybody can, actually. Um, I have four copies to give away. They, the cover. I'm, I'm hoping this is this is awesome. Uh, the show is good. I've actually been watching him. Um, it's not just because Laura's in it. Mm. It's because the show is good. That's right. That's what you tell your old lady. He looks he looks very guilty <laughs> saying that. <laughs> Enjoy this, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning into the show. We'll see you all next week. That's right. Watch your blockbuster. Watch your indies. Enjoy your Independence Day. Uh, fireworks. Bang, bang, boom. That's enough of this. That's enough of this. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this.